All right, guys, welcome to today's episode of the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Blake Lovell, and on today's episode of the podcast, we look at uh, some of the biggest takeaways from Saturday's action in SEC basketball. Uh, we won't go in-depth on each of the games we usually do because everyone already looking ahead uh, to the tournament on Wednesday, but uh, we will look at some of the biggest takeaways from those games and uh, discuss uh, the regular season awards in the SEC. As of this recording, uh, they have not been released yet, but I know a lot of you guys have asked me who I would pick uh, for some of these these main awards, and we're going to focus specifically on the player of the year and the coach of the year in the SEC. I'll tell you where I stand uh, in terms of my perspective uh, and why uh, it's okay to have a different opinion, uh, I think, on all of these awards, and we'll discuss why. And we will also uh, look at the SEC tournament bracket. This will not be our full SEC tournament preview. We'll have that episode coming up this week, but uh, we'll look at some just some initial thoughts on on how the bracket uh, shapes up uh, for certain teams. But we do start uh, with Saturday's action and uh, some of the biggest takeaways. I think the one that, that stands out the most was Kentucky's improbable comeback against Florida. Uh, it looked like the Gators were pretty much set to take care of business against Kentucky, all things considered. Uh, Ashton Hagens did not play or travel with the team. Uh, then you had Emmanuel quickly fouled out, I think with around nine minutes left in the second half. Uh, but Nick Richards took over, and that allowed Kentucky to rally uh, all the way back and pick up the victory in what was a, a thrilling game. Uh, it's a huge win for Kentucky because that puts them in a spot where they're not heading into the SEC tournament with back-to-back losses and instead have a little bit of confidence. I know there are still some some questions surrounding you know Ashton Hagens and what the situation is there, uh, and that is something that we'll, we'll certainly uh, continue to look at here over the next several days heading into the tournament. Uh, but for Florida, it's just a, I mean it's just one of those deflating losses to where. You know, I don't know how Florida comes out in the SEC tournament. I don't know exactly what their mindset's going to be because it's just been that kind of season, as we've said, the inconsistencies and all that for the Gators. And that was one that, man, it would have given them a ton of confidence heading into the SEC tournament. Uh, but to lose that game the way that they did, uh, not ideal for the Gators. I know very frustrating for Florida fans um, to, to go into the SEC tournament on that note uh, just because it was a game they absolutely should have won and uh, give, you know, Kentucky Nick Richards credit for uh, pretty much you know doing what they had to do to come back and win but uh, that's one that I think a lot of people uh, are talking about Kentucky's comeback but they're just as equally talking about uh, sort of you know how Florida let it get to that point Uh, just uh, not an ideal finish to the regular season uh, for the Gators but uh, Auburn uh, a nice finish for them to the regular season as they went in and won at Tennessee by 22. That was one of the you know, biggest surprises of the day just in terms of the score, uh, given that Tennessee had just come off back-to-back wins against Florida and Kentucky. Uh, and then Auburn goes in and, and wins by 22 points, right? Uh, that's what we, we've come to know in the SEC this year is uh, you know who knows what to expect in these games. And Auburn's biggest problem has been playing well away from home. And so uh, everything in the SEC, as we've said, has just been so wild this season. And this was another example of that. Uh, Auburn really playing its best game of the season away from home, without a doubt. And uh, to win, you know, by that many points, Samir Dowdy, fantastic. Uh, they, you know, Auburn hit three pointers. All the things that that we've you know wondered about Auburn, and all the things that the people have sort of you know looked at as flaws for this team and their potential to get back to a final four to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament um they they sort of flexed their muscles a bit in this game and showed you know what they're capable of when, when they're at their best and so uh, for Bruce Pearl's team a lot of momentum heading into the SEC tournament in Nashville 
And LSU got a little bit of momentum back as well. Uh, they had a blowout win against Georgia. You know, as we talk about with teams that just want to, you want to head into postseason play with that confidence. I don't think you want to go in, you know, in a spot, for example, like a Florida, um, where you, you have a deflating loss like that. And then, you know, you're able to regroup, you know, you have several days to do that, but uh, it's just, you're, you're still in the back of your mind. You're, you're sort of, you're remembering that last game that you played. And, and I think for LSU, you know, to get a blowout win against Georgia, to once again show how good of an offensive team they are, uh, that hasn't been the question. And, and that's going to, you know, no matter what we talk about with LSU, it's always going to come back to the defense because that's what's going to determine whether we're talking about this team, you know, in, during the second weekend of the NCAA tournament or uh, if this team, you know, loses in the first round of the tournament and maybe gives up 95 points in the process. That's just that's the same thing with LSU. And so um, they're in an interesting spot in the, in the SEC tournament bracket, and we'll discuss that uh, in a bit. But uh, nice for them to get some momentum heading into the tournament. Um, Mississippi State, they stay on the NCAA tournament bubble uh, with their victory against Ole Miss. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting uh, when we talk about the, the wackiness of the SEC. In the first meeting, Ole Miss beat Mississippi State by 25 in Oxford. Uh, in this meeting, Mississippi State beats Ole Miss by 25 in Starkville. So uh, I guess uh, these two teams are even at this point. Uh, maybe they'll get to play again. Uh, I think the only scenario that would happen would be if Ole Miss uh, beats Georgia uh, and then would have to, I think, beat Florida. So it's possible that they could play again uh, in the SEC quarterfinals. But, um, you know, just a win that Mississippi State had to have. We, we mentioned in the preview, you wanted to see them come out as the aggressor. That's exactly what they did. And, uh, you know, they didn't let up. And that's what they needed to do. And I think in Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology, uh, Mississippi State is getting closer to being back in that first four out. I want to say they're the first team on the next four out line uh, in his, but uh, they're at least still in in the picture, uh, unlike a lot of these other SEC teams. So uh, they are going to be in a spot, and, and there's going to be an important part of this tournament in terms of how it plays out and how it could affect Mississippi State. We'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. Missouri, uh, with a dominant performance in the second half against Alabama, uh, a very disappointing finish to the regular season for the Crimson Tide. And and that's one of the things we also discussed in the preview is you just didn't know how Alabama was going to come out and play after that loss to Vanderbilt. And that first half was just a very, very ugly first half in the SEC. You know, we've seen a lot of games controlled by, by fouling and free throws this season, but uh, that first half between Missouri and Alabama uh, was probably among the, the ugliest uh, of the season just in terms of neither team being able to find any sort of offense whatsoever. Uh, lots of turnovers, just a lot of missed shots. Wasn't their best uh, half for sure for either team. However, you give the credit to Missouri, who came out, uh, you know, with a much different mindset, and they just uh, they completely took control of the game in the second half, and uh, you know, just a nice win for, for the Tigers to be able to get them you know, in the number 10 seed versus having to play uh, on Wednesday night uh, in the opening game. So uh, that at least puts them in that spot. And they will play Texas A&M uh, with uh, Buzz Williams getting the Aggies to 10 SEC wins. Just uh, so impressive to, to think about when you consider where this team was uh, a while back. And we've we've repeated it over and over again. Uh, one of the most improved teams in college basketball. And uh, it's just, man, to, to see them with 10 wins in the SEC, it's just uh, really impressive. Uh, beating Arkansas, that was uh, probably not a loss that the Hogs could afford in terms of uh, their NCAA tournament uh, picture, but maybe still have an opportunity based on how the SEC tournament plays out. And uh, we'll go in, into more on that uh, here as we go throughout the week in terms of what Arkansas has to do 
to potentially play their way into the conversation. Is it going to take winning the SEC tournament? Could they still get there if they got to the SEC title game? Uh, lots to figure out, but the, the problem is, as we just said with Missouri, uh, Arkansas losing this game now puts them in the Wednesday play-in game, so they're going to have to win a lot more. And they're going to play a Vanderbilt team that uh, joins Texas A&M as the only two teams in the conference that currently have winning streaks. Mitch Light uh, of The Athletic, he put that out on Twitter, and I just thought it was so fascinating to look at, at that stat because these are the two teams that a lot of people projected to be the two worst teams in the SEC heading into the season, and now they're the only two entering the SEC tournament with a winning streak. Uh, pretty fascinating when you think about it. Uh, but the Commodores beat South Carolina. Uh, that completely knocks the Gamecocks off the bubble, uh, I would think, at this point. And uh, they'll need a deep run, uh, probably winning it all, maybe getting to the SEC championship uh, to, to make the NCAA tournament. But, uh, again, just like we said with Buzz Williams, what can you say about what Jerry Stackhouse has done with this team? Uh, you have to sort of put aside the wins and losses uh, and remember where this program was at. Uh, especially, you know, last season, right after the Aaron Neesmith injury, and to now, you know, finish the SEC regular season uh, with back-to-back wins against two bubble teams, completely knocking Alabama and South Carolina uh, out of the the bubble conversation. Uh, pretty impressive uh, for the Commodores. Uh, we mentioned Texas A&M's improvement. Uh, Vanderbilt certainly among the most uh, improved teams in the SEC also. But that's where teams stand uh, heading into the SEC tournament. But before we dive into the bracket, we're first going to talk about the regular season awards. And uh, yes, uh, my thoughts on uh, the top two awards and uh, the best candidates uh, for each of them. And we will get into those coming up here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And let's talk SEC regular season awards. It's an interesting discussion every single season. Um, people all have different opinions, and that's what I will preface this by saying. Everyone has a different opinion when it comes to how they view regular season awards or awards of any kind. Um, you know, everyone's criteria is going to be different. Some people may value one thing. Another person may value something else. Um, everyone's going to going to look at it a different way. Uh, and so I, I would just keep that in mind because I, and I know we're in the era of social media everywhere and there are always going to be arguments uh, with people trying to convince someone else why they're right and the other person is wrong. Uh, everyone can have their own opinion. It's just uh, because everyone's going to view a, an award much differently. Um, one thing could be much more valuable to one person and uh, another thing, you know, a lot more valuable to someone else. So uh, you're never going to have the exact same set of criteria for anyone. And so this is just how I look at it, you know, from my perspective. And the two, as I mentioned, player of the year, coach of the year, they're the most intriguing. Uh, that's certainly that way every season, probably. And I think there are three that stand out in both of these categories. And we'll start with coach of the year. Uh, the three that stand out, and, and this is no surprise, if you've you know listened to the discussion, um, been on social media, that these are the three names that, that have been thrown around the most uh, over the past couple weeks, and it's played out to where they're, they're all still, uh, I think, in that discussion. That's John Calipari at Kentucky, uh, Bruce Pearl at Auburn, and Buzz Williams at Texas A&M. I think this is a very compelling discussion with these three because, uh, again, it's it's how do you view your individual pick. And for me, um, you know, I think it's almost based on where did you view a team early in the season, early in conference play versus maybe where they are at this point. Um, And I think that's, that's how you look at it. Or that's how I look at it. Now you, you may feel differently and that's fine. 
But in that sense, I, I've thought that John Calipari would have gotten my vote probably a couple weeks ago. And I still think we're not giving him enough credit for the, the job he did this season with this Kentucky team. I think it's one of the best coaching jobs he's done uh, at, at Kentucky. I think he's just he did a really great job getting this team back on track. And yes, we have to bring up the, the Evansville loss because it's the one everyone always talks about. But uh, when you consider where they were then, where they were at the start of SEC play, to where they are now, um, you know, it's they're the regular season champion, and and they were very very good, you know, aside from a couple of missteps here and there, and so uh, I think he's he's very you know undervalued probably in this discussion, and for a lot of people, he may be the easy choice. However, I I have actually started to move the other two ahead of him in terms of where I would have him in the picture. Now, Bruce Pearl, um, and I know I've seen a lot of people point this out, and when I put it out on Twitter, I think Bruce Pearl's name was probably about even with Buzz Williams' name in terms of people voting. Now, now there is bias that comes into that. Uh, I've mentioned, you know, a lot of Auburn followers, so I can understand it, uh, but they, their, you know, point is valid, too, in terms of when you think about what Auburn lost last season, it is. It's it's incredible what, what they've been able to accomplish to finish second in the SEC, um, you know, given all the players they lost. I mean, literally players that were among the, the best players in school history that they lost from last year, and to be right back here in this discussion, you know, as the, as the second best team in the SEC. So once again, you know, to, to have the number of wins they have and to be back once again, probably having a chance uh, to to compete, you know, for a, a top four, five seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, it's just, it is, it's remarkable what they've been able to accomplish. And and so I don't think you can take anything away from, from what Bruce Pearl's done this season um, based on, you know, and that's the thing too, is where, what were the expectations for Auburn? Because that's where we mentioned the differences. For me, I think it was different because I had Auburn as the third best team in the SEC entering this season. I still was higher on Auburn than a lot of people were, even with what they lost. I knew when they had Isaac Okoro coming in, um, you saw the, the senior leadership, the guys that came back. Yes, we had questions about how they were going to fit into their roles, but but you still had a lot of guys that, that played valuable minutes in a, in a Final Four run and felt like they would be able to to at least lean on that and have a good season. And then with, with the young guys, as we mentioned, with Okoro, uh, all the other guys coming in as well, um, you know, I still thought Auburn was going to be a pretty good team, and I thought they were going to be a top three team in the SEC. Uh, so so maybe if if I'm looking at it from my perspective, my expectations were, were already high for Auburn. And, and yes, I think they were, you know, I didn't think they were going to start the season undefeated for as long as they did. Um, so you have to look at it that way. But in a sense, maybe because I did think Auburn was going to be pretty much kind of where they are in a certain sense, um, maybe that is is why I've leaned more towards picking Buzz Williams for the coach of the year from my perspective. Because you look at it, I just, again, I I think unless you watch this Texas A&M team, which which that's the thing too is, you know, I guess a good thing and a bad thing that that I watch all of these SEC teams and I've watched so many games this year, you see a lot. And so you've seen teams at their worst and teams at their best. And I think if you watch Texas A&M at their worst, which was back in that stretch in early December, if you look back at where they were during the, the losing streak they had, they lost the game to Fairfield. They only scored, I think it was 42 points against Temple. Um, this team was in a really, really bad spot. And at that point, I thought they were going to be the worst team in the SEC. 
Um, and, you know, people may have said Vanderbilt, but, but Vanderbilt with Aaron Neesmith, I think, you know, we're probably looking at the Commodores in a much different spot right now uh, if Aaron Neesmith would have played the rest of the season. We've seen how they've developed. Um, but I just I think if you look at how far that team has come this season alone, um, it's just I, I don't know how you can't be just ridiculously impressed with what Buzz Williams has been able to accomplish. To get Texas A&M to 10 wins, for them to be a top-half team, they are the number seven seed in the SEC tournament, um, to have as many road wins as they've had. And they're not just beating you know, teams that, that have finished near the bottom on the road. Let's think about that. Um, you know, they've won at Tennessee. Uh, they've won at Alabama. They've won at Auburn. It's so impressive what they have been able to do this season. And um, when you think of it that way, I just – I look at Buzz Williams and, and I think, okay, if I have to pick who do I think did the best coaching job with what they had, I think Buzz Williams w- would get my vote for that. Um, and, you know, maybe for, for other people that wouldn't be the case. But based on what they have on their roster, where the program was at entering SEC play or maybe, you know, throughout non-conference play, then going into SEC play, got beat by 30 by Gonzaga early in the year. Um, you know, they only beat Troy by four. They only beat Texas A&M Corpus Christi by three. They only beat Texas Southern by three. These are all games that were played right before the start of, of conference play in the SEC. If you want to know where these teams are ranked, Troy and Ken Palm, 292nd. Texas A&M Corpus Christi, 297th. Texas Southern, 284th. They they were barely being able to beat these teams. So they were struggling. And I think to bounce back the way that they did, that's why I would probably pick Buzz Williams. Um, I've changed my answer a lot on that. And I think that the case for Bruce Pearl is a lot better than maybe people want to, to give it credit for. Um, and so is the, the same with John Calipari, just based on the fact that Kentucky was the regular season champions. Uh, I would give the nod uh, to Buzz Williams for coach of the year. And for player of the year, um, the three that, that I think a lot of people bounce back and forth on, um, Emmanuel Quickly at Kentucky, Nick Richards at Kentucky, and Mason Jones at Arkansas. Um, this is, again, one, one that I've switched multiple times, and you can probably go back through my Twitter. There was a point, I know I put this out there, um, where I said I thought Emmanuel Quickly was definitely the player of the year. This was, I want to say, it was probably less than two weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, um, that, that I thought it was him, and, and I didn't really think there was another option. And it's not as though, you know, he all of a sudden just fell off and he all of a sudden just started playing bad the past couple of weeks because he hasn't. Uh, but you also get a chance after the, the season is over to, to look at things a little bit more and say, OK, if I'm making my personal pick for player of the year, what do I value of why I would pick player A over player B or player C? Um, and so here's what here's what I've come up with um to me someone who probably you know watched more SEC basketball aside from probably coaches and and, and other uh, I guess uh, people like me I think it has to come down to who was the, the best player that I saw throughout the season uh, to, you know throughout the SEC season who was the best player me personally if I'm making my own vote who was the best player I saw and I think that's how I have to look at it um, without all the other factors going in because, I, you know, there are different arguments you can make. Does it have to be a player on the best team? Does does an individual performance on a bad team not mean as much as an individual performance on a better team? I think there's so many different things you can, you can look at and weigh uh, in terms of, of how you would make your pick. But for me, here's what I just did. I said, okay, who is the best player that I saw? Um, who was the player that had the most impressive season in the SEC 
um, you know, from, from start to finish in SEC play, who, who to me was the one that had the most impressive, um, you know, streak there, the 18 games, who, who was the guy that, that stood out the most? And, and while really, I'd say, again, even a week ago, and probably <laughs> at some point on Saturday, I was, I was having this conversation and it was like, I think I would, I was going back and forth between Emmanuel quickly and Nick Richards. But the more I look at it, I don't think necessarily it has to be the best player on the best team. Um, I think it's, again, for me, who is the most impressive player in the SEC this season? Personal opinion. And the more I thought about it, it's like, well, I think Emmanuel Quickly, Nick Richards, I mean, they are really, really good. And, And I think they're easily, you can easily make the case. I could convince myself that one of those two players were the most impressive player I saw in the SEC this season. I mean, that's how close it is, and it's the same for these awards, and we say that a lot. It's not the same every single season, but, you know, in this case, I think it is where this is a year where you can make the argument for any of these guys, but the more I look at it, if if I'm making this you know award based on my personal opinion, the most impressive player in the SEC this season for me was Mason Jones at Arkansas. And I think that I go back and forth on that, but it's because I don't think there was a player as dominant as he was um, in terms of what he was able to accomplish. I mean, we've mentioned the 40-point games, the 30-point games. You know, those add up. And, and I know a lot of people say, well, Arkansas is playing, you know, in, in the play-in games. Like, they're, they're the 11th seed in the SEC. How could he possibly be the player of the year? I also don't think we can just say because his team only won seven SEC games – that he can't be considered as a player of the year candidate. I, I don't view it that way. Now, I understand why people do. If you're looking at it in terms of you know the absolute best player in the SEC, I can understand why you would want to look at it and say, okay, if it's the best player, he's got to be able to, to impact his team um, you know, to the point to where they are a, a top team in the SEC. And in most years, I probably would. I would say, you know what? It's probably Emmanuel Quickly or it's it's Nick Richards. Um, they're on one of the better teams, but but I just think Mason Jones was so good. He was that good to the point to where I said, okay, I don't think we can just completely knock him off the list because his team only won seven games in SEC play and went five games uh, of that eighteen game stretch without their second best player on the floor. Um, so I, there, there's a lot that goes into it, but for me, um, I, you know, this is just for fun. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not deciding the, the SEC player of the year award. So if, so if some, one of these guys wins it, uh, don't come back to me and say, I told you so I, I, I don't decide this. I don't vote in this thing. Um, this is just me, you know, having fun with it as all you guys do on Twitter when we talk about it. But that's why I would pick, uh, Mason Jones, uh, as my SEC player of the year, um, uh, just because I don't think anyone else was, you know, just the, the dominant performances he had, um, you know, and yes, they didn't, they didn't equate into, to wins, but, but I don't think you can take that away from a player just because, um, we knew, I mean, Arkansas had roster limitations coming into the season. There was no doubt about that. Um, that's why I think the hogs were, were the biggest unknown in the sec. And, and ultimately I don't think they finished, you know, too far away from where I thought they would. Um, just because we, we didn't know about the, you know, the size, the rebounding, the depth, all those other things. But, just because they don't have that, I don't think you can take away an individual player's performance uh, based on the fact that that maybe you know he doesn't have the exact same depth on a roster as 
you know, some of the teams at the top do. And that's not to knock the teams at the top. I mean, you know, we, we're not going to sit here and say that Emmanuel Quickly and Nick Richards are bad players or they're just average players and they're only good because they've got all this other talent around him. That's just not true. Uh, but it is. It's one where I think you have to look at the entire uh, picture and say, okay, if it's a individual award for player of the year, um, for me, who was the most impressive player this season? And uh, the more I think about it, I think it was Mason Jones. So uh, ask me again. Uh, you know, if you're listening to this podcast on Monday morning, uh, ask me uh, Monday afternoon, and I'll probably change my pick again. But uh, that's where I'm at, uh, at least <laughs> as of this recording. So uh, there you go. Uh, but coming up, uh, we will take a quick look at the SEC tournament bracket with some thoughts on what stands out uh, the most and uh, heading into uh, Wednesday's action. And uh, we'll talk about that coming up here on the Locked On SEC podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network. And let's dive into the SEC tournament bracket. Uh, the action does get started on Wednesday night. Uh, the first round, you have number 12 seed Ole Miss against number 13 Georgia. Arkansas is the number 11 seed. They will take on the 14 Vanderbilt. Then uh, going into Thursday's games uh, at the top of the bracket, number 8 Tennessee takes on number 9 Alabama. Uh, number 5 Florida will uh, play the winner of Georgia and Ole Miss. Uh, Missouri and Texas A&M. Texas A&M the 7 seed. Missouri the 10 seed. Uh, they will play in the second session on Thursday uh, in South Carolina. Uh, will be the main event on Thursday night as they will uh, be the sixth seed and take on the winner of Arkansas Vanderbilt. And then, of course, the quarterfinals uh, on Friday. Kentucky is the one. Uh, will play the winner of Tennessee and Alabama. Mississippi State's the four. Uh, they'll play the winner of Florida and whoever wins uh, the play-in game. Auburn is the two seed. Uh, they will start the second session on Friday night. They will play the winner of Texas A&M, Missouri. Uh, LSU is the three seed, and they will play the winner of South Carolina uh, and uh, the winner of the other game between Arkansas and Vanderbilt. So uh, that's your setup. Uh, looking at, at the bracket, uh, again, we will go through this uh, and do a, a mega SEC tournament preview uh, here uh, this week. But uh, quick thoughts on this. Uh, I think when you look at it, um, really what stands out the most to me is that I said going in that I think there's probably a scenario where a double-digit seed can make a run to the semifinals. I don't really think my answer on that's going to change. Uh, I do think that there are, you know, there there are there is a double-digit seed in here that I look at, and really when you look at how the bracket shakes out for them, uh, I think it's very possible that, that that we have one of those making a run, and that's just a bit of a teaser because <laughs> I'm going to save that uh, for our, our SEC tournament preview. But uh, I do look at that and still feel the same. I think there is a double-digit seed that's going to have a chance to, to make things interesting. And then I think it's sort of fascinating at the top of the bracket. You've got Kentucky as the number one seed, you know, potentially playing either Tennessee or Alabama. Um, you know, Alabama, a different team now than they were when they made that trip to, to Lexington at Rupp, but Alabama actually played Kentucky pretty well there. And then Tennessee is coming off of that win against Kentucky, uh, recently. So, you know, is, is that a spot where maybe one of those two teams are able to, to knock off the number one seed, uh, heading into the semifinals on Saturday? Uh, I do think any, either of those matchups would be very interesting. I think the Kentucky Tennessee one, a lot of people would like to see, uh, based on, on the Vols, what they were able to do. Uh, here, you know, recently in that game at Rupp and to get the win there. Uh, you know, elsewhere, Mississippi State, we mentioned them earlier. Here's the, here's the setup for Mississippi State. Mississippi State needs Florida to make it to the quarterfinals because let's think about it. If you're Mississippi State, you're trying to play your way into the NCAA tournament as an at-large team. Uh, you want to have the best quality win opportunities that you can. And so if Florida were to lose to Georgia or Ole Miss, 
then I think it adds on another layer for Mississippi State to have to say, okay, well, now we just can't win our quarterfinal game. You know, we may have to get to the championship or win this whole thing to get in because that would be a game to where if Mississippi State played Ole Miss or Georgia in the quarterfinals, it would not be enough. You know, to even if, if they win this game, it doesn't matter because neither of those wins are going to do anything for their resume. So that's the thing. If you're a Mississippi State fan, you look at this bracket – your first takeaway should be we really need Florida uh, to make it to the quarterfinals because that's a game where if you beat Florida, that helps you a lot more than it is uh, in terms of Ole Miss or Georgia. At the bottom, I think the potential rematch between Auburn and LSU in the semifinals, uh, that could be fun based on uh, the game that they played during the regular season, one of the wildest games uh, of the season without a doubt. But, you know, there is also, I think, potential for chaos in this bottom part of the bracket because, uh, you know, you've got A&M, Missouri, both of those teams have recently beaten Auburn. Uh, one of them will play them in the quarterfinals. Uh, LSU and South Carolina, we mentioned LSU's defense. You know, if they get a South Carolina, which South Carolina, you know, they're coming off of the loss to Vanderbilt, and we don't really know exactly where they're going to be mindset-wise. Could Arkansas or Vanderbilt be a team that, you know, plays South Carolina, pulls off that upset, uh, and then gets LSU. You so you've got a hot team going into the quarterfinals. Uh, we've talked about that before. You know, these teams on Wednesday night, uh, you know, they, they get that win and then maybe have some momentum going into the second-round game. Uh, could one of these teams make that run, have the potential to? I just think there there is. I think there's a lot of possibility for chaos in the bottom part of this bracket, maybe more so than the top part of the bracket. Uh, but uh, it's it's going to be fascinating, I think, to see how this unfolds. Uh, good luck trying to predict what's going to you know happen in these in this SEC tournament uh, this season because uh, it's just I don't know. I mean, we we said it. The main theme during the regular season was how unpredictable the SEC was, uh, and I don't think that's really going to change here because I just think it's going to be a fun tournament and uh, the combination of potential uh, possibilities and matchups is uh, just uh, it's fun when you think about it. But uh, I don't know. I don't know how you pick this tournament and know exactly how it's going to play out. By the way, if you do want to try to pick the tournament, uh, I do have a, a SEC tournament bracket challenge going on over at CBS. So I'll put the link to that in the show notes. Uh, if you want to join that, all you got to do, it's free. Just sign up. We're just doing it for fun. Uh, sorry, no big bucks uh, on the line. But uh, it should be fun to see if anyone could possibly <laughs> figure out uh, you know, who, how this thing's going to turn out. But uh, we'll go into that when we do uh, the SEC tournament preview episode this week. But there's a look uh, at uh, where things stand in SEC basketball. And as always, uh, be sure to subscribe. Uh, however, any podcast app you use, just search for Locked On SEC. And uh, again, if you enjoy the show, take a few seconds, uh, give a nice five star rating or review. That just helps the show uh, reach more people. And uh, be sure to uh, follow me on Twitter uh, for everything else at the Blake Level. If you want some more listening material, I know we've talked a lot of basketball, but the NFL draft right around the corner, everyone uh, talking about where all these potential players could land, and certainly. If you're an SEC fan, uh, lots of SEC players uh, should be in the mix. So after listening uh, to this episode of the podcast, tell your smart device uh, to play the most recent episode of Locked On NFL Draft uh, for lots of draft coverage over there. But uh, thanks, as always, for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next time here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network.